title of my sermon this morning is Lessons from the Grave. And I'm going to invite you to take out your Bibles or your phones and whatever version you want. I'm using the New American Standard because I'm using the Gospel of Luke chapter 16 verses 19 to 31. I'm using the New American Standard, as I said. It was too long to display it behind me. And um, I'm not going to be talking about every single verse between 19 and and, uh, 31. So take out your own and follow along as I deliver this sermon. There is no outline because, as you'll see by the sermon, it's hard to come up with one. But I think it's an important sermon that we needed to hear. Not one of my favorites, but it's something that I needed to to deliver. Please pray with me as I always do. I seek Psalm 1914 to ask God's anointing on these my words, but his thoughts. So Father God, this morning may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You know, there are some things in life that are difficult to survive. One thing none of us survives is life. And certainly we do not survive the effect of sin. It brings death to all of us. And the great question concerning life and death is not whether we will die, but what happens after we die. And the Bible answers those questions for us. And today I'm going to look at a story that Jesus told about two men who have died. This story takes us beyond the grave and teaches us some very important lessons about life, death, and the life after death. In our text, Luke 16, 19 to 31, it begins with verses 19 and 20, which state, Now there was a rich man. And he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. This story is one of contrasts. It contrasts the lives, deaths, and destinations of two very different men. From birth to death and into eternity, their stories are vastly different. One lived like a prince. He dressed in the finest clothes and ate the finest foods. He enjoyed acceptance, notoriety, and the very best society had to offer. The other lived as a pauper. Far from living the high life, Lazarus, whose name means God is my help, which is kind of ironic as we view his his life, he would have been considered a lowlife, even subhuman. And from the world's perspective, the first man was living the high life. People would have looked on him and said, this man is blessed by God. But you know, if there had been a scale to measure poverty, Lazarus would not have even registered on the scale. He was the poor of the poorest. And his company was the filthy, unwanted dogs that roamed the streets. And their presence simply added insult to injury. The rich man had never known need or want, and Lazarus had only known need and want. You know, he was so desperate that he longed for the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. 
And when we read in verse 21 that word crumbs or scraps, we should note that the Bible is not talking about the man's leftovers. It's in reference to the bread used to wipe the juices, the oils and the sauces and the dirt from people's fingers. They didn't have napkins in those days. They would take this special bread to wipe their fingers and then take that bread and throw it out to the dogs. It was not fit for human consumption. And all Lazarus longed for and wanted was what was thrown out to the dogs. No one in his right mind would have looked at Lazarus and said, God has really blessed him. What a contrast. Jesus not only intends to to draw a distinction in the way they lived, but in the way they died. And though Jesus does not bring this out based on what we know of the culture of the day, the rich man's passing would have mirrored the way he lived. His funeral would have been extravagant as family, friends, and freeloaders, that is, professional mourners, as they gathered for this week-long funeral and feast, The procession from the rich man's house to his tomb would have been filled with pomp and pageantry. Lazarus' fine passing would have been marked by the same humiliation that characterized his life. No parade of mourners, no fancy procession or feast. He did not find comfort or dignity in life. Why would he experience it in death? And there was people called cleaners, They would pick up his body and take it to Gehenna, which was the trash dump of the city, a place where the fires never died and worms ate the garbage. Now both men lived and both men died, and that will be true of all of us. And the issue is not how we live, rich or poor, or even how we die, but what happens after we die. That is what we see is the most important contrast between these two men. And so Jesus not only is contrasting their lives on earth, but their destinations in eternity. And how society looked at the passing of these two men is very different than how Jesus portrays it in his story. Jesus tells us that when Lazarus died... He had his own personal procession laid by angels from heaven, unseen by human eyes, while the cleaners may have taken his putrid, broken body to the garbage dump. The angels took Lazarus to heaven. And the rich man's death, from a spiritual perspective, was not nearly as ceremonious as his elaborate funeral. And while Lazarus was carried by angels into heaven, the only thing said about this rich man is that he died and woke up in Hades, that is hell, and was in torment. And while the rich man's joy was temporary, his suffering would be eternal. Lazarus's suffering, which lasted only a lifetime, came to an end, but his joy would be eternal. And listen, Only Lazarus was given a name. God is my help. And while it may have seemed inappropriate in his life, because it appears that God simply wasn't around for him, it is immensely important in death because God knows those who are his and he calls them 
by name. A father knows his children. No one in hell needs a name. You are no one there. Everyone in heaven has a name. And I'm going to add, we are all going to be given a new name. I would like to focus on Lazarus in heaven because it is a much more enjoyable topic. But this story is not about him. It's not about heaven. And though I would like to focus on the end of Lazarus' sufferings and heaven's joy, it is Jesus who makes the rich man and his experience in hell the focal point of this story. Hell is never a popular subject. It is a doctrine that may have been done away with, either officially as part of some denominational statement or unofficially by their reluctance to broach the subject or to even use the word and preach on its reality. You know, it may have disappeared from some religious books and pulpits, but it is nonetheless very real. You know, a refusal to not believe in God does not negate his existence. A refusal to believe in hell does not negate its existence. And some may feel that Jesus was simply sensationalizing the story to make an overly dramatic point. But I don't believe the one who is truth would seek to sensationalize or exaggerate the human sufferings beyond the grave unless he knew and wished to impress upon his hearers the awfulness of living and dying without God. And while the picture Jesus draws in the story is shocking, It's not hyperbole or exaggeration. He is presenting a spiritual and eternal truth. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And it's not a place you want to go. Death is not a state of nothingness. It does not bring an end to our existence. We do not become some disembodied, unfeeling or unthinking spirit. There is a consciousness. This man maintained his personhood and personality in hell. He knew what was going on. He felt pain and experienced torment. Four times in the span of seven verses, we are told this is a place of unrelenting agony. There is no relief and no end to this suffering. It is a place without hope. It is a place of unquenched passions and desires. Nothing in hell will satisfy because you are separated from the goodness of God. At least those who are far away from God and spiritually lost here on earth, at least they experience the common grace of God, such as rain and sunshine falls on the just and the unjust, but not so in hell. Some say that hell is the absence of God. That is not true. Hell is not the absence of God. He is present. It is the absence of the goodness of God. Jonathan Edwards said, For the righteous and the unrighteous, eternity will be spent in the immediate presence of God. God will be the hell of one, and God will be the heaven of the other. See, the rich man was not only conscious and aware of his present situation, but his memory was intact. 
He remembered his life and was aware of what he left behind. Part of the agony of hell, the place where the worm never dies, is that it is a place where regrets never die. Every missed opportunity to respond to the gospel, every failure in life is played on a continual loop through the mind. Daniel 12, 2 states, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to shame and eternal contempt. Hell is a place of unrelieved guilt. You know, these are not fun things to talk about. It doesn't lift the spirit. But we have a responsibility to be faithful to the word of God. That means we teach and preach even those things we may not like. The watchman who who keeps silent is guilty of gross neglect. The doctor who tells us that we are getting better when we are dying is a false friend. And the minister who keeps back hell from his people is neither a faithful or charitable man. And with that in mind, I want to take our remaining time and make a few observations and statements concerning the truth that we see in this story. First, our position in life does not determine our position or destination in the next. Nor does it reflect whether God's favor is on us or not. If I ask you this question, who in this story would you rather be, what would you say? Most of us would answer like one man who said, I want to be the rich man in this life, in Lazarus, in the next. While that response may be considered witty and truthful, it still misses the point. Lazarus, despite his pitiful life, was the one who was really blessed because he knew God. The rich man, despite his lavish and plush lifestyle, was not blessed because he did not know God. Now, this thought, this concept would have been a shock to the religious and cultural belief systems of the people in Jesus' name, as it still would be today in our times. They believed that those who were healthy and wealthy were blessed by God, and those like Lazarus must have been horrible sinners to suffer such want, to know such depth of need and poverty. See, God's favor on life cannot be measured by how much a person has, where they live, the color of their skin, what part of the world they are born in, how smart or physically attractive they are. God's favor is seen in other ways. See, God satisfies in poverty and sickness as well as in health and prosperity. We've got to know that there are some who are poor and suffer greatly in this life who are beyond wealth in the next because they know God. Notwithstanding the fact that they lived here, despite their tragedies and suffering and pains and persecutions, they lived for him. Just so there's no confusion. The rich man did not go to hell because he was rich. Lazarus did not go to heaven because he was poor. A person's relationship to God is through Christ alone, and that is the determining factor of where you will spend 
eternity. Now, close on the heels of this statement, I want to say, being religious is not enough for a person to go to heaven. The rich man in this story would have represented the Pharisees to whom Jesus had been talking to. They would have identified with this man. Now notice that Jesus does not make any statements about this man's being wicked or cruel except in his refusal to help Lazarus, which is something the Pharisees would have applauded. You don't help someone under God's judgment. They were a little like the Hindus in that respect. Let karma have its way. This man, by all accounts, may have been an upright and religious man, but it doesn't matter at least not in determining his eternity. For the Jew in the first century, all you needed was the right mama and daddy. If you had a Jewish heritage, then you were set for eternity. All you needed to do was be a good little Jew and you could go to heaven. That would not get them to heaven any more than being a good little evangelical can get us to heaven. Being a good or religious person earns you Nothing. Hell will be filled with religious people from all stripes and persuasions. As you all know or should know, salvation comes by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And that means our choices concerning the gospel and Christ in life will determine where we spend eternity after death. And listen, After death, all decisions are final. There are no second chances. In the parable, the rich man is told, verse 26, that a great gulf or chism is fixed between where he is hell and where Lazarus is heaven. It is a gulf that cannot be crossed and it will not be removed. Death is not remedial. It is not a temporary stopping off place for bad and unbelieving people to go after they die for a do-over. It is a place of everlasting torment for those who reject Jesus Christ. If everlasting life is a reward for believing and trusting in Christ in his infinite goodness, then hell and eternal death is the only just reward for rejecting Christ in his infinite goodness. Now, if we go back to the story, we find the rich man with several requests, one of which is, verse 23, is for Lazarus to go back and speak to his five brothers and warn them about the torment that may very well be waiting for them. He believed if someone from the dead came back that they would believe. Hell is not a place he wanted others to come. He found out it was not a party with all of his rowdy friends. It was a place of unimaginable sorrow. And after experiencing hell, he suddenly becomes an evangelist. Not only in the grips of eternity is he concerned about the eternity of his family. But verse 29 to 31 states, But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to the Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. That tells us two things. One, we have been given sufficient evidence to believe. 
2, the reason we don't believe is because the amount of evidence or the clarity of evidence is not the problem, but rather it's the condition of our unbelieving and sinful hearts. Charles Spurgeon said, he's an intellectual, he says, quote, Do you think that one who had risen from the dead would persuade such a man as that to believe? When God's creation having been ransacked by science has only testified to the truth of revelation, when the whole of history of buried cities and departed nations have but preached the truth that the Bible is true, when every strip of land in the Far East has been an explosion and confirmation of prophecies of Scripture, if men are then not yet convinced, do you suppose one dead man rising from the tomb would convince them? Now remember, Lazarus, not this one, the one who came back from the grave after four days, when he did that, they wanted to kill him. Jesus came back from the dead. He appeared to hundreds. His, grace is, his grave is still empty. His message is still being preached, and yet they still do not believe. Remember, a person's failure to believe is not due to lack of evidence, but a heart of unbelief. And it's important to know that there will not be one single person in hell that does not deserve to be there, as there will be not one single person in heaven that doesn't deserve to be there. You know, something I find very telling in this. The rich man never lashes out. He never says he doesn't belong. He never cries out concerning a miscarriage of justice. He never blames God. He never says, I don't deserve this. He asks for a small measure of comfort, a drop, when he desperately needed and wanted more, but he never asks for a second chance. Listen, hell is an example of the fact that God is the ultimate respecter of persons. If they did not want him in life when they rejected God, they wanted nothing to do with God in life, and God will now honor their deepest desire of their hearts, and he will not force them to be with him in eternity. You know, hell does not discriminate. It's the only politically correct alternative. You know, we hear a lot about political correctness today. We reject anything that carries even a whiff of discrimination. We are a people, apparently, who promote tolerance over truth. And for those who prize tolerance and acceptance as the world defines it, that every belief and lifestyle is of equal value, then hell is the only politically correct alternative. It will take you whether you are rich or poor. Its gates are open for you whether you are educated or not educated. It holds a place for you whether you are a world-class beauty or so ugly even your mama can't lie about it. You can be the most immoral or moral person around and still be welcomed in hell. You can be a racist, misogynist, Radical feminists, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, Socialist, or anywhere in between. You can be pro-life or pro-choice. You can be a tree hugger or a Bambi killer. You can be a bar-hopping country singing redneck or a rapper, and hell's doors will be open for you. You could be 
heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, man, woman, or gender confused, it will be opened for you. You can be an atheist or an Islamist. You can be a Mormon or a Methodist. You can be a Pentecostal or a Wiccan or a Baptist or a Buddhist, and you'll find hell will take you. I want you to know the point of this message, the story that Jesus told in every instance in which he spoke about hell is this. You don't have to go. There is a way of escape. That is the very reason Jesus came. He came to make heaven possible. He came to reclaim those who had rebelled and to save those who were lost. And it doesn't matter where you come from or what you are. Jesus invites you to come in. Come as you are. But there is only one way to come. And Jesus will not let you stay as you are. But he's going to make you a new creation. In closing, let me just say, there are a million ways to hell. There is only one way to heaven. His name is Jesus. And it does matter what you believe about him. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament. And in them, there are 234 references to and warnings about hell and judgment to come. If you were on a highway that was 260 miles long and you saw 234 signs warning of danger, of imminent destruction awaiting at the end, what would you do? And what frightens me and saddens me is that there are literally billions out there who are on this road. But what frightens me and saddens me even more is that there are some in this room or live streaming on that same road, and you are thinking you are safe. You preach a message like this, not in anger or pride, but in humility, love, and brokenness. We preach it, begging and pleading, because you don't have to go. Come to Jesus. Amen? Well, service is over. In the course of this coming week, meditate on these thoughts. Ask yourself what happens after death. And there can be no question more relevant to humanity. And the Bible is clear. Heaven and hell are the exclusive destinations after death. And in this sermon, we took a look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus to gain a glimpse of hell's reality. And we try to learn how to prevent others from going on that road. And so ultimately we see that hell is eternal. We see that it is conscious. We see that it is punishment for sin. And that the only way to save people from its flames is through the word of God. So share the gospel Share the gospel in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for there is only one true God. Amen. Stay blessed. Encourage one another. Amen.